Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Israel has a new prime minister, a new foreign minister, who is the prime minister's political co-equal and holdover defense minister. This is the core group within the decision-making cabinet out of which strategic directives are to be expected. As always, Israeli defense and foreign policy is U.S.-centric, but special attention is given also to Europe, both regarding bilateral relations and its various capitals and the continental frameworks, namely the European Union and the 28-strong membership of NATO, along with North America. What is the state of play in the European-Israeli arena, and what moves are to be expected in the months ahead? To further analyze this topic, we're joined from Madrid, Spain, by Dr. Rafael Bardaji, who is the CEO of Worldwide Strategy and former Spanish National Security Advisor. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from Central Israel is Dr. Uzi Arad, who is uh, the former Israeli National Security Advisor and Mossad Division Chief. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And with me here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and uh, host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the complexities uh, vis-a-vis the European-Israeli relations on the one hand, and what is being done to bolster this uh, important alliance? Jonathan, I first have a simple question for you, or task. Could you please define Europe? Uh, what Europe are we talking about? Are we talking about the European Union plus Great Britain, which used to be uh, a partner but then uh, took uh, Brexit, but is still uh, holding consultations uh, as if it didn't leave? only it is not subject to decisions uh, made uh, in Brussels. Are we talking about a major part of Turkey um, uh, and uh, all of its decision-making? Are we talking about uh, Russia, uh, west of the Urals? What are we talking about? Uh, And, as you mentioned, uh, NATO, 28 uh, members out of its uh, 30, Uh, member states are European alongside uh, the United States and Canada. A legitimate question indeed, and I think that it would be also uh, helpful if you could define what is Israeli perspective when dealing with Europe as a whole or on a bilateral level? Well, it won't surprise you to find out that Israel wants to have uh, the best service it could get if it can get it bilaterally from Berlin or Paris without the others, fine. If it can uh, uh, utilize the framework, be it uh, the EU or NATO, fine. If it can get it out of some East European and Central European capitals, as was the case under Prime Minister Netanyahu, that would also do. There is no coherent Israeli policy because uh, Israeli politicians uh, for many years have shied away uh, from defining what is Israel's vision long range. What does Israel want to achieve? And only then, how is it going uh, about to achieve it? So uh, it is playing it by ear. 
And uh, we will have to see how the current government in Israel responds rather than initiates whatever policy it will then try to negotiate vis-a-vis -vis Europe as uh, it will have to do vis-a-vis -vis the United States, Russia, China, and the rest. Indeed. Dr. Arad, I'd like to refer the next question to you. How does Israel approach the various European countries, of course, the various forums being uh, the European Union, NATO, as uh, I earlier mentioned, and also uh, the various uh, capitals in Europe, which have more of a historic alliance with Israel as opposed to others who have newer and then older again. How does Israel approach all of those complexities, or is there some kind of pattern or coherent pattern that we can identify in this uh, diplomatic efforts? Well, there may be a trend. I do not see necessarily coherence. Uh, one can say that Israel's approach to Europe uh, is a multi-layered one. Uh, on the one hand, of course, the emergence of a European center uh, in Brussels, which includes uh, the economic, political, and the defense institutions, and so forth, um, has led into a greater Israeli attention to, uh, to those bodies of, uh, uh, in which uh, Europe has united around. And, um, and uh, that has been uh, a certain level on which Israeli diplomats have worked, usually with a long-range intention of getting closer into these institutions even formally, sometimes seeking status of being uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, members or quasi-members of those institutions. And there has been an increase on the day-to-day -day interaction with these institutions. But at the same time, Israel, by necessity, uh, did have bilateral relations with two types of uh, administrations and countries. In the first place, you have the core uh, uh, countries of Europe, which dominated the scene so much, have held also history and interest in the Middle East, and that were that's Britain, uh, France, and Germany. And with each of these countries, Israel has had over the years relatively good relations, often at the level of the heads of state. Uh, some came and gone. During Netanyahu's uh, uh, long tenure, we've seen some European leaders come and go, but whoever they were, uh, soon enough, uh, there was a working relationship with these three key countries. Then you have also the other powerful European countries, Spain included, with which uh, Israel and with its leaders, Israel has held uh, some closer relations. But then in recent years, um, Israel has also cultivated uh, that group of primarily Central and Eastern European states who, for all kinds of reasons, had a different color uh, in terms of their politics and often were softer on Israel when it came to things like the Palestinian issue. Um, but on the whole, I think that at no point was there any Israeli withdrawal from Europe, even at times with growing anti-Semitism and sometimes criticism of Israel coming from European capitals. Quite the contrary, the trend is positive, and I think that we will see more of it. 
the reason being uh, all kind of changes occurring in the Middle East. Uh, for example, the fact that Israel has come to uh, three or four peace agreements with Arab countries, uh, most of them in the Gulf, has had a certain change, in, again, in the coloring of Israel's position in the Middle East itself. And that had attenuated uh, the criticism of Israel. Uh, even on the Hamas recently, we've seen the Europeans and European leaders supporting Israel right to self-defense and being firm behind Israel's position in the way tried to uh, reduce that threat. Um, so um, I think this, we will see more of that. But the final, the bottom line, uh, which I would like to uh, underscore here, it is true from Israel's point of view, the Iranian issue remains uh, paramount. And Europe is a very central uh, to the policy that is led vis-a-vis -vis Iran. European countries were key uh, among those who negotiated the nuclear deal. Europe has been also the countries that uh, have shouldered some of the burden of sanctions on Iran, an instrument that can be used and reused should it become necessary. Now, all these countries are advocating, still advocate as a policy purpose, the prevention of Iran from having military nuclear power. And it is around that common goal that all subscribe to, whether supporters of the uh, 2015 agreement or critics of the 2015 agreements, that is a common goal around which Israel would like to unify uh, policies when it comes to handling Iran and would seek, um, whichever way it goes, that those who take part in the renegotiated deal uh, adhere to their long-term goal and apply it effectively. And if needed, if that would not suffice, and Israel would have to take certain unilateral actions, uh, the fact that these actions are aimed at that common goal would be well understood and would be supported by Europe. Of course, uh, you're referring to the E3, or uh, which are a part of the P5 plus one, uh, Germany, yeah. France, and uh, Great Britain. Uh, I'd like to uh, bring uh, you into the, the picture, Dr. Bardahi, when we're talking specifically about uh, Europe's approach. Uh, of course, uh, you, you can speak from your experience as uh, the former National Security Advisor of Spain, uh, having uh, that uh, uh, close understanding of the Spanish approach, but uh, also within the context of uh, the, the uh, today 27 member states European Union and also as a senior advisor in NATO, uh, the, the NATO approach from Brussels uh, in particular, how is that um, viewed with regard to Israel, are there uh, different fluctuations with, the, with regard to the various countries and how they uh, approach Israel? Is domestic politics in Israel also something that triggers uh, reactions from uh, various uh, European countries? Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, I, I think uh, I have to agree with Lucy Arad in the sense that the Europeans uh, share the common goal of avoiding a nuclear Iran. Nonetheless, even among the three major European countries, are uh, different nuances and uh, policy differences 
uh, in the meaning of what a nuclear ram means, really, and how to, to stop it. Also, you have to bear in mind that the relationship between the European nations and, and uh, the United States is also very important. And while the European rejected the Trump policy of uh, withdrawing or move away from the GCPOA of 2015, they are embracing, as we saw in the G7 and in the summit of NATO in Brussels last week, uh, the idea that a new treaty, a new agreement has to be signed with Iran in order to prevent it. In the past, that was a major difference with the U.S. with the government in Jerusalem, and I don't know if the new government will will stay and stick to the line of the previous government vis-a-vis -vis any agreement with Iran that has to be seen. Uh, but that will be probably a major friction between Europeans and Israel if the Europeans continue to believe that uh, a nuclear Iran means a nuclear arsenal in the hands of Iran and not the nuclear capability or the capability to build a nuclear bomb, which was a major difference in the past and I think it will remain a difference in the future. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd, I'd like to ask you, with regard to this uh, uh, seeming alignment uh, of uh, policies with vis-a-vis -vis Iran in particular, uh, it seems like, at least from what I heard from uh, um, British intelligence officials and, and other uh, members of the intelligence apparatus, also in Germany and also in uh, France, that uh, they are checking their priority list constantly when it comes to Iran. When the Biden administration came into the picture, it indicated its will to return into compliance with the 2015 agreement. Then, uh, while Great Britain is highly concerned and has voiced so towards its leadership, the leadership rather not get into contention with the French about it, who may not completely agree with the British about other things. So they rather just, you know, not deal with this immediately and uh, choose their battles, if you will. Is this currently a situation in which Israel can convince the Europeans uh, to try and, and find reason within the various capitals in Europe, which are clearly divided on multiple issues, uh, in order to try and find something that uh, would clearly indicate to them, look, th this is the reality at hand, and this is the way we should all align ourselves with, even though, of course, as Dr. Uh, Arad mentioned correctly, opponents, proponents of this deal all want to make sure that Iran will not attain that nuclear bomb. It's a matter of both uh, proximity and priorities. For Israel, a nuclear-armed Iran is an existential problem. Uh, should uh, Iran even get close to the threshold, Israel uh, will probably strike with or without the consent of others, including Washington, including taking the risk of doing it with US-made fighter planes, F-15s, F-16s, F-35s, and even if uh, the upshot would be an embargo uh, following uh, this uh, action, much like the short-lived embargo on the F-16s 40 years ago after Israel struck the uh, Iraqi nuclear reactor. Now, can other European countries have any leverage over what the United States Britain, France, Germany, and China and Russia, plus the European Union, the other partner to the JCPOA do, 
Uh, not likely. And for them, it is not existential. If you look at uh, the problem from the point of view of other countries, not Israel, there are several nuclear powers in the world uh, already. And by the way, the joint communique came out with some um, compliments to the British and French uh, independent nuclear deterrents, saying that, uh, yes, this is a very good thing. Uh, it will complicate the decision-making uh, on whoever, on the part of whoever wants to strike, as if uh, these different uh, locations of uh, strategy uh, really matter. But there are the, the Pakistanis, the Indians, the North Koreans. So Iran will be an added one. Of course, there will be then a race, Turkey, Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia. Everybody understands it. And it's a problem, but not a very acute one. Now with Iraq not having nuclear weapons or a quest for weapons the way it did under Saddam Hussein, Obviously, the only target for Iran is Israel. And therefore, we go back to square one. For Israel, it's a matter of top priority. For the others, it is not. And as for the ballistic missiles which Iran has, the uh, Americans and others come out and say, we are building a ballistic missile defense system in Europe for the Iranian threat and not for the Russian one. They, uh, it is not intended to intercept uh, Russian nuclear-tipped missiles, but only others, namely Iran's. So Israel will have its work cut out for it if it tries to pull the Europeans towards its corner. And if it does, it will only bolster the EU's political power. And the EU is, of course, part of the quartet alongside the U.S., the UN and Russia. So Israel will not be able to have it both ways if it tries only to get something out of Europe without giving anything in return. Indeed. Dr. Arad, on June 10th, there was a meeting of the Israeli Parliamentary Commission for uh, Foreign Affairs and Defense, uh, during which uh, the outgoing foreign minister at the time, former IDF chief of staff, Gabi Ashkenazi, uh, provided an overview of uh, the the preceding year uh, of uh, foreign diplomatic uh, efforts uh, and, uh, uh, of course, highlighted the different challenges and recommendations he had to the Foreign uh, Affairs and Defense Committee with regard to Israel's activities in the international arena. One of the points that uh, he sought to highlight during the meeting uh, was the importance of bolstering relations between the state of Israel and its European partners, not specifically naming any partners, but of course highlighting uh, the success of, on the one hand, uh, uh, convincing Hungary of the importance of standing by Israel with regard to uh, the attempt by EU foreign policy chief Josep Borrell uh, during Operation Guardian of the Walls to uh, uh, produce a communique uh, somewhat more con condemning towards Israel with regard to the uh, situation vis-a-vis -vis the Gaza Strip. Uh, all the while also highlighting the fact that Norway, a country which Israel helped get into the Security Council in the last election, went and stood by China in trying to uh, push forward uh, a UN Security Council resolution regarding that same topic. Uh, is Israel 
not doing enough in the European arena in order to uh, find alignment of policy, alignment of understanding at least uh, in all that relates to the Israeli uh, challenges in this region, which uh, European backing is so crucial for? Well, the Israeli Foreign Office, of which uh, Ashkenazi was uh, minister, for one, has always uh, underscored uh, the value of better uh, relations with Europe. Uh, and that is uh, uh, a task that Ashkenazi assumed, and I think that in his short uh, term as foreign minister, he handled himself uh, exceedingly well, uh, which is nice to notice, uh, because by his background, clearly he is a military man, and yet he showed all the uh, qualities that are needed to, to develop things on a working level and effectively. I think that trend will continue. Um, it is true that uh, one should do more, uh, but this is not uh, because things were neglected. They were not neglected. But more effort will be conducted along those ways, trying to benefit from the following things. First, uh, Lapid, the incoming uh, foreign minister and at the same time future prime minister, is known for his uh, understanding and familiarity with the European terrain. And it can be expected of his turn as foreign minister to underscore this area. I'm sure that he would operate very extensively on the personal levels with uh, uh, many of the European leaders and so will the Foreign Office, who will be probably bolstered under his uh, tenure term. Um, the other thing is that some of the music that comes from Europe is affected by how things are looked at the Palestinian issue. Well, the Palestinian issue uh, at, at the moment is under control uh, Israel is not criticized too severely at the moment, and there is room for some Israeli uh, modifications of its posture towards uh, the Palestinian issue now that the government is not as structured as it was in the preceding years. Remember, we have now a national unity government, which consists of a pillar which is uh, right of center, a pillar which is left of center, and a centrist uh, pillar. So uh, that may give certain different emphasis to Israel's policy vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, which would uh, uh, cast uh, favorably in Europe and would render European ears more attentive to Israeli efforts to obtain European support on some key issues, such as decisions at the UN and so forth. So I'm sure that Europe would be, again, given much attention to under this administration, the Israeli administration, that is now coming into power more than it did under previous administrations. Just as an aside, to add to what Uzi just said, Shortly. Um, Yair Lapid's uh, father, like him, uh, was a journalist turned politician. And one benefit that uh, Lapid Jr. enjoys is that his father, the late Toby Lapid, wrote a series of tour guides to Europe, mm. uh, which many Israelis uh, used at the time. So when Uzi says that um, Yair Lapid has uh, great familiarity with Europe, it comes uh, from 
his family. Tommy Lapid, of course, a Holocaust survivor who was uh, highly regarded. But I'd like to... Uh, may, I, may, I, may I just inject one thing, Raphael, before you come into this, because you would appreciate the point I want to make. You know, during Netanyahu's first term, from 96 to 99, I tried very hard to have him come to visit Brussels. But he was too much of an American-centric person at the time, and although he visited Spain, among other countries, but also he did not give any attention to, to Brussels. So trying to harp on his uh, interest as an historian, I told him that for the price of one, if he came to Brussels, we could go and visit Waterloo, mm -hmm. which would have, you know, he sometimes draws inspiration from history. But that did not succeed, neither. The times he did come to Brussels were in other uh, terms that he was in office. But you, Raphael, you know that, about that more than I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But uh, also, Lucy, I think uh, it's important to recognize that the European Union institution in Brussels as such is really biased against Israel. It has been for all its life and it will be for the near future, though Fortunately enough, the capitals of the member states are not and shouldn't be. So I think, uh, uh, disregarding whether you agree or not with the former Prime Minister Netanyahu, the intensity of relations, diplomatic, intelligent, technological, between Israel and Europeans has increased dramatically in the last 12 or 15 years. And that should continue. I really encourage the new government, whether through the Foreign Minister and the Prime Minister office, to keep maintaining the intensity of talks and visits to European countries, because that's the way that Israel is going to build the bridges and secure the island of solidarity that are needed for the future of the security of the country, I think. That's my personal view. So, Dr. Barakhi, do you think that uh, uh, the current situation is optimistic in your view about the, the projection of where relations with the various member states, not necessarily the EU, is heading? Yes, I think uh, if, if I were advising any, any uh, leader in Israel, I would say please focus primarily on the capitals, because that's the best way to influence the European Union in Brussels. Uh, it, it may be, I mean, Henry Kissinger many years ago said, what's the number, which is the number for Europe? Okay, we have a telephone in Europe now, but also we have uh, 27 telephones in the capitals. And I think you can play with the 27 numbers to achieve the goals you are pursuing if you have a strategy in place. So I think it's not contradictory, but I sincerely, bearing in mind the short uh, divisions and the latest division among the European Union, even among NATO members, I will be more confident dealing with the capitals than with the institution themselves. Well, and we're hoping that uh, the officials who watch this show will indeed uh, take your advice on this. Uh, but this is all the time that we have for today. So uh, we'll uh, end with that. I'd like to thank uh, you, Dr. Badakhi, uh, Dr. Arad, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.